Hi, everyone. I'm Zelina Khan, and this is Next, a TransPerfect podcast about business technology and the future. So I'm going to play this soundbite from a very popular franchise. I'll give you some time to try to figure it out. Did you get it? What you just heard was a dubbing sample from Master Yoda from the Clone Wars TV series. If you guessed correctly, congrats. And if you didn't, that's okay too. On today's episode, we'll be taking a deep dive into dubbing and subtitling. We have Charles Fathy, CEO of Encore Voices. So, Charles, I noticed that you you worked on a lot of films. W- which one was your favorite? Uh, I have to say, I mean, you're talking about dubbing, you're talking about acting. As far as dubbing, no, it, it, the, the last one we worked on was The Break. It's a series uh, from Belgium, French-speaking, that we dubbed in English. Also, can you just... um. Say a little bit about like your background. I, I come from the, the uh, acting background. I mean, if we want to go further than that, I did uh, uh, some prep for engineering school, but I quit pretty early to, uh, to be an actor. And um, so I had a career in France. And uh, when I arrived to the United States, it was kind of very natural to go to the dubbing because I was French here. And uh, it was the big explosion of the dubbing for airlines. That's how I started here. And, uh, you know, that was 20 years ago uh, when we were recording with tapes. And uh, now we're recording with a much uh, advanced technology. And I built a company and uh, we're doing dubbing in five languages. We also have Mara Enriquez, Executive yeah, Vice hi. President of the Macias Group. So I was reading your bio and I realized that um, this is actually a family-owned company, Correct. Correct. My grandfather started our first studio in 1968. It was called uh, Sonomex Doblajes. And uh, after that, uh, the years went, went by. And my uncle, who is now the CEO of the group, uh, his name is Arturo Macias, uh, he expanded our, uh, our business into Brazil and, and opened it up in, in the United States as well. And uh, me and two of my cousins, Valeria and Gina, they are... Um, uh, together with me, we are the third generation that is working and, and heading this company. And lastly, TransPerfect's very own Jacques Barreau, VP of Media and Interactive Entertainment. Can you tell us a little bit about what what your function within TransPerfect and a little bit about where your expertise is coming from? Well, I spent the last uh, 20 years of my life working for a major uh, company, uh, leading the dubbing group. And I joined TransPerfect um, approximately a year ago. The goal of my uh, hiring is to uh, develop the dubbing for the media entertainment project, which is a a, a big initiative of the company, uh, switching from the corporate world to the media entertainment world. So I will help transitioning the work. And uh, in the same time, but we'll have have the time to talk about it uh, at a later time, I'm also developing a dubbing school and um, developing new tools for the company to work more efficiently, uh, reduce the cost, the timeline, et cetera, et cetera. So we can call you Professor Jacques now. You can. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what he said, but I'm pretty sure that was at least maybe three languages. But, I mean, one thing I know is that we can easily recognize that that was Yoda and that was from Clone Wars. Um, Jacques, you worked on this, didn't you? 
Yes, yes, I was uh, I was responsible for the dubbing of the Clone Wars series, working directly with uh, George Lucas. That was great experience. And um, in the the interesting thing in this clip is that you can hear Yoda. I think it's uh, five languages at least. And um, and obviously the interesting thing is the voice is the same. Uh, so um, what what you can say is. Uh, um, most of the people are asking me, how did you do that? Is it the same actor uh, doing several languages? Uh, how can you have many actors over the world doing the same voice and having the same characteristic in the voice? So this is a little bit too long to develop here, but it's basically the concept of voice casting, which I developed uh, extensively when I was uh, in my uh, former company. You know, I develop a system to make sure that the, the actors, even if they don't know each other, um, use the same technique to reproduce voices, mainly in animation, which is the key because you want to have a consistency when you uh, listen big brands like uh, animated characters like Yoda, obviously, or, or, or others in all the languages. You want to sound the same, you want the, the brand to be represented with consistency all over the place. So I come from an English-speaking Indian household, and as a kid, I watched a lot of Bollywood films that were usually only subtitled, which really improved my reading skills, might I add. But I also noticed that sometimes the music would have like a subtitle. Why weren't those dubbed? It depends. We have a lot of requests lately to dub songs, and we've been doing it for a while now. It, it, it depends on the on the client why what they want what they need. For example, we we dubbed musical uh, a couple of years ago where the client wanted to do the whole translate and dub the whole the, the, all the all the all the pieces. And sometimes uh, other clients they want to leave the original the original uh, music, especially if it's popular recognizable music. They just leave it on like that. There is also an issue with the, the rights of the song. That's so true. you have to clear the rights of the song uh, for not only uh, redo it, but even translating it. Sometimes you don't have the right to translate a song depending right. on the con country where it was uh, written and the country where it's distributed. It's a much more complicated process than dubbing dialogues from a movie because you, you have to adapt, adapt the song to, I mean, the lyrics. Um, uh, and it's a real, real work by itself. And also when you're talking about a musical or or if some characters of the animation of the movie are singing, then you have also a problem of casting because it's very difficult to find either an actor that can sing or a singer that can, that can act. So it's, it's much more complicated. Um, mm -hmm. Are there certain regions that are more likely to dub and... Um, certain re other regions that are more likely to just subtitle? Yes, <laughs> I mean, of course, the dubbing comes from mainly from Europe and I would say from from France because that's where it all started. So there's a culture over there about that. But I think that Jacques has a, can make a nice recap of the history of dubbing. Wait, you said that dubbing actually started in France? Well, the, 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 the dubbing... Um, the the way Charles knows uh, now the how to do it started in France, but the the first movies actually were done in the in the states. 
uh, when Hollywood started to uh, to switch from uh, 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 silent movies to um, sound movies, which was uh, in the 20s, um, the idea was to uh, dub the movies in uh, in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, and um, sell them to the two biggest markets at the time, which was uh, which were uh, uh, Germany and France. And um, the Germans are very picky about the quality, the French too, and the first movies were not really a, a big success in terms of um, dubbing. Uh, obviously, you have a, a lot of reasons, and I'm not going to explain everything, but uh, let's say the pool of actors was minimal, and not a lot of people could uh, could speak the language and act in the same time, like was like uh, Charles was saying before, when you are a dubbing actor, you have to also be an actor, not only uh, somebody who can uh, read the text. So, um, so the, the the French and the German uh, uh, beginning of the 30s said, okay, that's that's not very good. That's not what we want. We are going to do it ourselves, and they started to do the dubbing. And really, the dubbing started in France and Germany uh, after the few failures of the of the American dubbing, which was. Uh, Approximately um, 20. I think the first uh, the first movie that was dubbed in French in with the rhythm band was 1927 with uh, Felix Lecat. Felix wow. Lecat was uh, was an animation, and uh, the French used the first time the rhythm band uh, to to dub the movie. And uh, since then, only the the French Franco the francophone countries like France, Canada. And Belgium are using this system. Uh, now the system is a little bit uh, more uh, used uh, in its digital version by people all over the world. Uh, Mar uh, at Massiasson is using that. Uh, Charles obviously using it, uh, but uh, it's still uh, it's still not generalized like it should be. And, and we can talk about that later. So can we just take it back for people that might be listening that do not know what the what a rhythm band is? Can you can one of you guys explain what a rhythm band is? Oh, I mean, the uh, basic I dubbing one hundred and one. Just give a, a hint, just for the I would say the modern version, the rhythm band. Uh, it, let's call that a karaoke for actors. I, I can explain really briefly. Uh, a, a French a Frenchman called. Um, Charles de la Commune, so another Charles, uh, had this uh, very simple idea. Uh, at the time of the silent movies, you had uh, in, in the pit, you had um, um, the piano player or the organ player in the, in the cinema uh, playing the music during the film. So this guy, Charles de la Commune, said, okay, why? Uh, why not uh, project for the piano player, the score on a second 35 millimeter uh, projector. And so he will have the score uh, moving in front of him, uh, scrolling. So after all that, they said, okay, if we can project a musical score, why, why don't we project uh, a text? And uh, that's how the rhythm band uh, started. So the text replaced the musical score and was scrolling from right to left. And when the text hits a bar, uh, that's when uh, the actor has to uh, has to talk, and it's a very simple 
and uh, ingenious system that makes uh, actors um, play in sync and do their role in sync much faster than uh, in other countries. Like I, I, I can develop a little bit different techniques, but in Spain, where you have the looping system, in Italy, in Germany, uh, the dubbing takes much longer. That was very informative because, you know, some people might be listening that just know nothing about dubbing. So can we talk more about dubbing today and maybe some of the newer techniques that have um, emerged as a result of the increased use of dubbing? Well, the, the, and uh, Charles and, and Mark can talk about that uh, uh, immediately. But uh, the, the, the new technique is exactly that, is uh, the, uh, the new versions of the Ritmo band that are starting to be more and more common in studios. I have to admit uh, there is kind of a resistance of the uh, old generation of uh, actors. And I can understand that. It's not a criticism, but a lot of actors want to have the, the script in front of them, want to be able to write on a piece of paper to make some signs, want to do an accentuation, uh, to correct a word. So it's not completely there. Yeah, like, like Jack said, um, there's, uh, there's been some resistance, but history has a way of reinventing in itself and coming back and and uh, uh, from the Ritmo band, uh, a lot of um, studios, especially in Latin America, they use uh, the loop system where uh, they, uh, you translate the original script into the language you're going to dub into, and you uh, use loops, which are uh, portions of, um, of the script that the actor has to read in sync with the, with the video. Now, um, as time advanced, um, instead of uh, using the scripts, a lot of people start using iPads or projections uh, in, a, in a monitor. Uh, we realized that uh, when you have to work with uh, a talent that is um, star talent, for example, uh, celebrities or, or sports uh, uh, celebrities, etc., and they want they want to be included in the in the movie, uh, in the dubbing. Uh, it sometimes it's hard for them to get a grasp of the of the loop system, so that's when we uh, use the 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 rhythm band, which is easier for them to follow. So it's, it's it's making a comeback and it's helping us and is is gaining more traction now in the industry. I think I, I would add quickly the rhythm band is a very natural way of of reading in in sync uh, versus the three beeps uh, technique that is still used. Uh, to my uh, amazement in, in, uh, in America right now, uh, which is uh, a, a, a triplet of notes, if you want, from a musical standpoint. Beep, 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 and you start a sentence. The, the only issue is that the rhythm of the sentence has nothing to do with the rhythm of the three beeps that is always the same. So it's really an anti-musical, anti-rhythmic, uh, system that doesn't work very well, and they don't have they don't have bad habits. Exactly. So, so <laughs> it's very it's very easy to implement a system. Actually, it's not really implementing. We work together because, for example, I'm discovering some signs that I can put on the rhythm band. You know, for in inhale, exhale, all the, all these little uh, uh, wow, those uh, little things markers that we put. Yeah, because everything is on the rhythm band. And, and we are developing a, a certain set of signs. Some come from Europe, but some 
some of the European signs were like impossible to 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 remember and anti-natural. There's only the French people who can understand them. So we are trying to find some kind of a cross-cultural uh, language in like an emoji, basically, uh, yeah. so that so that Emojis in any language, people is very is very self-explanatory, and it's a really really uh, interesting uh, way to go because. Uh, instead of deciding from my desk that is going to be that, I I choose one. We put that on the benchmark when we dub with actors, and we can see that. Oh yeah, yeah, I understand exactly what it is. Ah, perfect. So that way we we say okay, this one we're going to implement that after, and, and we're building a new way, and it's a real collaboration between actors, directors, writers, and it works pretty well. So you guys have been discussing a lot of innovations and in dubbing these last 15, 20 years. What's the cost associated with these types of technologies? It's important to understand that uh, it's a little bit like the cost of, uh, cost of living. It's not the same everywhere in the world. So the cost of dubbing is not the same everywhere in the world. Uh, and, uh, and obviously, this depends on the ecosystem that was developed in, in certain countries. The cost of the being is following that. It's following the market. Um, I would say that uh, if you take uh, any uh, um, an average theatrical movie, I would uh, I would be able to dub it for Japan for hundred thousand dollars in France and Germany and Italy probably for seventy in Spain for uh, fifty in Mexico for uh, fifty sixty. Uh, in Thailand for 9,000, in Romania for uh, 4,000. And obviously, this is the same work. And this is very interesting because it's, uh, it's the, price of, uh, the price of the cup of coffee. You know, you go to, uh, to, to Tokyo, the cup of coffee is, is uh, much more than in Romania and much more than in America. So dubbing is following the same system. Because you have a lot of uh, human involved in dubbing, it's not only uh, it's not only a, a process. Uh, you have to pay actors, and the cost of actor is not the same all over the world. Oh, oh go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Also, uh, also with the technology, uh, the technology has at the same time um, lower the barriers of entry into the business uh, because now everybody can buy a, a good microphone and a laptop and install Pro Tools and and you know do their own studio however uh they won't get too far because the industry keeps evolving and now the cost is higher if you want your product to be dubbed quickly so the prices rises um uh, even though the, the barriers of entry uh, are lowered so it's, it's it's very interesting and i'm um, i'm sure not everybody can afford the ritmo band yet but it will be interesting to see what happens when most studios can afford uh, a Rhythmo Band software, whichever it may be, and see how, how that plays on into the industry. Yeah, I think it's, it's also important to, uh, to understand that uh, right now, the, the, biggest, the, biggest, the, the biggest amount of content is on, the, is on TV or on the platform. We call that OTT, over-the-top mm-hmm. platform. And... Uh, and these platforms, uh, these platforms are following the theatrical uh, system. Uh, years ago, um, it, you know, movies started to be re- uh, released what we call day and date, meaning that uh, they are going to be released at the same time in a lot of different countries. 
So uh, let's say um, I remember when I, I finished the first uh, Harry Potter movie, we had a huge day and date release. And uh, so France, uh, Spain, Germany, Japan, everybody went uh, together. So you have to uh, organize the dubbing such a way that it's pretty uh, uh, fast. And uh, it, uh, it's released at the same time in America and all the other markets. And now the TV, uh, the TV is following uh, the same concept. So there is an acceleration and the timelines are shorter and shorter. And people like Charles or Mar know very well that the job cannot be done like it was done before, where you took, uh, you know, six weeks to dub the TV series. Now that's out of the question. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. Is it often or how likely is it for a company to like, not dub right away, but wait later on, depending on the budget? Is that a common thing or will they subtitle no. first and then decide to dub it? You still have countries, I would say mainly Spain, where um, TV series uh, are released uh, subtitled uh, immediately, like three days after, uh, uh, two, three days after the U.S. So people can see that and they are dubbed in uh, five to six days. So you have uh, the first release practically immediately after the U.S., which is a subtitle, and the second release, which is uh, dubbed. Uh, obviously, uh, there is, a, there is a, a limitation in the process mm -hmm. because uh, you, you cannot finish uh, a dubbed version before the American version if you don't have all the elements necessary to, uh, to do your work so, or a TV series. So as a, as a consumer of media, if I can't wait, Sometimes I'll just have to read, which is fine because I've done reading with a lot of my Bollywood films. But if I want to get more of a natural experience, I can go ahead and just wait for the dub version. Yes, that is correct. And uh, generally speaking, obviously, because kids don't read very fast and don't read sometime at all. Uh, generally, you, you can say that all the uh, kids content is really dubbed while the more uh, general content uh, is, uh, is and can be subtitled more often. But you cannot subtitle a, a, a cartoon for a kid because the kid will not be able to read. So you're better off not dubbing yeah, at all and just subtitling yeah. before you mess up a, dub, a dubbing situation. Yeah, it, it, is, it is better to have a good subtitling than a bad dubbing. But it's still, still better to have a good dubbing over everything. <laughs> I, I, I agree with Jack. If, if you don't have the budget to, to do the dubbing well, don't do it. Do the subtitle. Also, um, so I, I often travel internationally for work, and I've noticed the stark difference between, like, American and European dubbing. And what I notice is Hollywood doesn't seem to dub often. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I also notice, like, they've, they'll do remakes, for instance, like The Grudge. Um, is that, is, is there a issue with that or is it, is it like a rights issue or do people just prefer no, to I see an English version so. as opposed it, it, to watching it dubbed? I just saw yesterday that the movie LOL was uh, just uh, uh, remade in America with, uh, I think it's uh, Miley Cyrus. And uh, this is a movie that uh, I saw in France probably like uh, four or five years ago with Sophie Marceau, 
So, they, you know, the American market doesn't even uh, care about dubbing it. They just redo it with American actors and for the American market. Uh, this is a trend that uh, I saw over the years, and you would be surprised to see all the American movies that are, in fact, a redo uh, of a French, a French uh, original movie. Like uh, Free Men and a Cradle was a huge success in France, and uh, it was redone, uh, redone here in, uh, in America with American actor in an, in an American version. I mean, it, it, it's also because uh, for a movie to work in, uh, in America uh, on a large scale, you have to have A-list actors. So either you get A-list actors from you know, other countries, but if they are not strong enough, you know for a fact that the movie is not, I mean, economically, it's not going to make a, a big, a lot of money because you don't have anybody to have no traction with the to drive, yes, yeah. to drive the movie. That's well, correct. But, yeah, sorry, I, I would I would finish uh, that uh, saying that uh, uh, obviously there is a historical ha- uh, habit of uh, of watching movies. Uh, when I was kid, I grew up in Marseille, and it was practically impossible to see a movie in original language because everything was dubbed, and it was very difficult to find a movie in, in, in English. You had to go at the midnight session on one or two cinemas in Marseille to be able to watch the original version. There is a, a change now. People, with the globalization, people can see more and more the original language. But also, you know, I always say you don't dub to a language, you dub to a culture. You knowing that the translation is always a compromise. So we all know that uh, when you translate, you compromise. So you have to be faithful to the uh, to the writer, but also to adapt to a culture. Uh, I think it was one of the Soderbergh movies that I dubbed, uh, Ocean 12 or Ocean 13, I remember, and. Uh, um, when one of the characters is on the bed, he says, give me your John, John Hancock. Okay, so the American know John Hancock is the signature because he was uh, the signatory. So we said, okay, in France, give me a John Hancock doesn't mean anything. So you have to find <laughs> something else. And this is a, a perfect example of adaptation to the culture. Yep. yep. Um, so I, I know we're, we've gone over our time, but also, is there a difference between... Like, is it easier to to dub for animation versus live action? It's not the same world at all. It's uh, it's another world, and uh, the world of animation, which I love because I develop a lot of technique to redo all the famous characters uh, of the, the Looney Tunes, for example. Um, so um, these are uh, in animation. You have a lot of non-human voices, so you can speak like that. Or you can speak like that. I can aim at that. Okay, so you can do a lot of voices and which are not human and uh, that add to the over-the-top characteristic of, of the characters. In live action, you don't really, you care less about uh, uh, redoing exactly the same voice. You, you care less about uh, redoing exactly the same voice. Uh, you take an actor like Brad Pitt, he doesn't have the same voice in uh, most of the European countries, but doesn't really matter because uh, the acting is compens- compensating the, the, the characteristic of the voice. So it's not the same approach, it's not the same concept of dubbing, I would say. In the past, uh, 
we 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 have we dub Alf and we dub Barney into Latin American Spanish. And in the case of of Alf, we had a we had an actor, the one who was cast, uh, that was traveling back and forth to to the United States. So we actually had two actors. Not a lot of people know these. There's two actors that they shared their roles. You know, one when when one was not available, the other one would do it. And people didn't know the difference because you have to you have to make sure that the voice is the same. So it's it gets a little bit more complicated when you have uh, puppets and animated animated uh, features like that. I remember a few years ago, um, the guy wa- who was doing Sylvester uh, in Sylvester and Tweety show, the Sylvester guy uh, in Germany uh, was doing his, his role for for a while, and he, wa- he was very good. And uh, he goes to to Brazil, and he 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 fell he fall in love with with a Brazilian lady, and moved to Brazil. And he said, "Okay, forget it. Now I'm uh, I'm not in the big business anymore. So I had to find another uh, Sylvester, train the Sylvester to do exactly the same voice as the previous one, and we continued like that. And and this is just one example of uh, many uh, of the same situation. Yeah, these very um well-known voices and recognizable voices it just seems like a very crazy challenge or crazy task to actually find that person i'm going to ask you guys a question that we ask all of our speakers what's next for dubbing in my opinion i've been i've been seeing a lot of um, advances in voice recognition uh, speech to text uh, software as well as um, as uh, the creation of artificial voices and i think um, once that technology gets refined, it's going to creep into our industry. I think um, uh, the, 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 the duplication of voices is not far away. Um, there's still a challenge. Uh, I don't think we are close to developing a universal translator yet, but I think no. we, should, we, should be paying, we should be paying attention to that, that technology, in my, in my yeah. opinion. This is absolutely correct. I just finished uh, writing an, uh, an article on uh, artificial intelligence and dubbing, which will be published uh, next uh, month, I guess, in a magazine called Video Age in, uh, in New York. And, uh, and it's exactly that. I'm talking about uh, this concept of, uh, of artificial intelligence. It's great, but uh, the artificial intelligence has to understand now the sense of humor, has to understand uh, the, the cultural aspects of, of a translation and, and, and an acting. I feel like you guys just gave me a crash course in dubbing. <laughs> Good. Um, thank Good. you, Charles, Mar, and Jacques. So if our listeners want to learn more about what you guys do and learn more about your companies, where can they find you? If you want to learn more about uh, the Macias Group, you can visit our website, which is www.macias-group.com. And you can learn a little bit more about our companies and what we have done in the past and what we are offering for the future of dubbing. Yes. So if you want to know more about All Core Voices, go to www.allcorevoices.com. If you are an actor and would like to work into this promising English dubbing business in Los Angeles, Go ahead, give us a call. For for uh, for Transperfect, the future of dubbing is uh, is um, a development of uh, of a dubbing academy. 
uh, we will uh, be able to talk about that uh, in the future very soon. If you'd like to stay tuned to learn more about what Transperfect is doing in the world of media and interactive entertainment, check out transperfectstudios.com. To those listening at home, at the office, or on the go, we have new episodes coming out each and every month. Make sure you subscribe with us wherever you get your podcasts or head over to nextpodcast.transperfect.com or email us at nextpodcast at transperfect.com. If you enjoyed listening, don't be afraid to hit the like button or leave a review. Be honest, we can take it, but be nice too. This podcast was brought to you by Transperfect Global Business Solutions, produced by Ulrich Burke, and special thanks to Dave Salerno, Nick Trinidad, and Shu Yi Lee. And I'm your host, Selena Khan. Thanks for listening.